0: please take your seats. The title of this sermon is Deep Change. I debated, it could have been, oh, it's free gifting, deep change, but it's about deep change. I debated, should I call it radical change? Or should I call it spirit wrought? I like that old word, rot. Spirit-produced Change. Or should I call it change of soul? But I thought I'd just go with deep. It's deep change. So that's the title for the sermon. Now to reach back into the four verses we already read, the Apostle Paul was handpicked by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to represent Jesus Christ on the earth when Christ had ascended to the right hand of the Father, to join the number of those who were called his apostles, his hand-picked representatives, to whom he would give his word. They would proclaim it in his absence. They would write it in his stead. It would be his word that they would write the word of God, inspired, infallible, and errant in the original autographs. And so Paul has been busying himself preaching that gospel that we saw in the earlier readings from Romans, the free gift. The free gift. The gift of grace. The free gift of righteousness that came through the one man, Jesus Christ. and Everywhere he went, he preached the free gift. And every time he wrote, he wrote about the free gift. And he makes quite a point in Romans that salvation is so incredibly free It's just hard to believe that I don't contribute one thing to my own salvation. That it is, as he writes in Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saves us through a washing of regeneration, through a renewing of the Holy Spirit. So Paul is preaching that which he always preached to the church in Rome in the book of Romans. It's free. It's free salvation. It's by God's grace. It's a free gift. Then we arrive at chapter 6, and if you remember five weeks ago when we were last there, we worked our way through the first 11 verses of chapter 6 where Paul begins to face several objections that he's anticipating to the freeness Of his gospel objection number one came up in Romans 6 verse 1 I'll put it up for you again Uh, Paul wrote what shall we say then we just had five chapters of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone so anticipating some objections he says rhetorical question what shall we say then and here's the question Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So that's his first question. Paul, salvation being so free, as you say it is, is this an implication that logically follows? Is this in sequence? If we say, well then, Let's just continue in sin, because the more we sin, the more he pours out grace. Is that a logical conclusion? Shall we just sin with abandon, because it's a free gift of God's righteousness? So he asked the question, shall we do that? And we won't put it up, but in two, he says in Greek, Me which means, may it never be. Perish the thought. Absolutely not. That is a non-sequitur. It does not follow. So there's the objection to the freeness of his gospel. Well, then, should we just sin up a storm? Because God's just going to cover it in his grace anywhere. And Paul says, no. We are not to continue in sin that grace may abound. And then he tells us why. And We looked at this last time, did a review, because it's been a few weeks. Uh, In the first 11 verses, he tells us, here's why. Here's why that will not happen. Here's why blood-bought, redeemed, regenerated, saved believers will not just continue in sin and claim that it's okay because God's grace abounds. And he gives us in the first 11 verses, which I'm just reviewing for you, not quickly enough, Two reasons why that will not happen. Reason number one, and he says it again and again and again and again and again, that will not happen because when you come to Christ, you die. That old you who was a slave to sin, that old you who loved your sin, that old you who went after sin, that you died. And the second reason why you won't do that, the second reason why you will not just take advantage of the grace of God and go hull hog into the world's temptations and sins is because not only have you died, but you have also been raised in newness of life with Jesus Christ. Just as Christ was raised from the grave, so also have you been. So You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old you passed away. A new you has come. And that deep change that has occurred in you will not allow... You should do in light of that. The Lord made that happen to emphasize this point. Here's what you should do, knowing that believers do not abuse the doctrine of the free grace of God and plunge themselves with abandon into sin. Here's the first verb that he gave us. We looked at it last time, Romans six eleven. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You must consider. That's the first verb he gave us ten verses of what has happened you're changed you're different you died you're alive and then he finally comes to a verb for us there's something for us to do and he says so here's what i want you to do about all that let's start right here with your mind i want you to consider to reckon debbie's mother lives with us she's 88 she's virginian to the core she lives with us in maryland she doesn't even know she's in maryland she still thinks she's in virginia and all the time we ask her uh, are you ready to go to bed i reckon i reckon you know where they got that that's when the king james version informed the english language and everybody said i reckon paul's telling you to reckon and this is not a mind game he's not saying let's pretend like you died and rose this is not a psych yourself out. And I'll imagine, and I'll play like if I died and rose. No, he's saying this is the fact. You did die. There is a fundamental change inside of you. So. D- Does that mean our recording is messed up? Oh, that's really not good. All right, I get to preach like those preachers who hold the mic. Should I just turn this one off? I guess so. Huh? Check, 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 check. Thank you. So, I like my voice more than that anyway. So, second verse, Romans six 12. Second verb that tells us what to do. Let not sin, therefore rain in your mortal body to make you obey its passions don't let it first thing you're supposed to do is consider who you really are dead and alive second verb to you second command to you is don't therefore don't let sin rain don't let it rain it wants to rain don't let it rain in your mortal body. This is a mortal body. Wait a while, there comes an immortal body. But while you're still in the mortal body, you feel the pull of temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's weak. It's weak. I'm weak, Lord. Help me. Strengthen me. I'm weak. You feel the pull, and you're weak. But don't let sin reign. Now the word "reign" is a critical word here. We need to think about the word "reign." The Greek word is the verb basiluo. You heard about basilica? Basiluo. Basiluo means reign like a sovereign. So a sovereign is a basil in that basiluo. Don't let him reign over you. Don't let sin be like your king. Don't let temptation be your master. Don't let it rain is the point. In other words, there's a distinction here between does sin ever get the best of you? Do you ever succumb to a temptation? And do Christians still sin? Yes, they do. That's going to happen till you're fully renewed in heaven. However, here's what you can do right now. Don't let it reign. Don't let it be your king. Don't let it be your master. Don't let it be your sovereign so that you say, well, there's nothing I can do. It's my sovereign, a powerful temptation. It rules over me. I'll just bow. I'll just submit. I'll just lie down and show up my belly. I'll just give in. No, don't let it reign. This is something you actively do. By the way, notice Paul does not say, just let go and let God. No, there's no passivity here. There's no quietism here. There's no just let go and let God. No, it's you with a new heart and a new soul and the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and the word of God to strengthen you. Here's what you do. You don't let that sin reign. Years ago, somebody said, You can't keep the birds of temptation from flying over your head. Do you know what comes next? But you can keep them from building nests in your hair. Birds of temptation are going to fly over your head. Don't let them build nests in your hair. Don't invite them in. Don't let it rain. Now this is a vastly vastly important principle for followers of Jesus Christ. You have a new heart. The Holy Spirit reigns or dwells within you. You have the word of God written in your heart. That means you love it. It used to be external to you on tablets of stone. It is now internal on a soft tablet of a fleshly heart, a soft heart. And it it means you love it. It's in your heart. But you still feel the power of temptation. And sometimes you succumb to temptation. But you don't let it rain. Now what this really means is, and Paul doesn't say this, but I'm going to say it. And he says it over in Ephesians chapter 6. How do I not let sin reign? Answer, you put up a fight. You put up a fight. If some other nation tries to invade our nation and based on what i know god help them no god don't help them but i mean they're going to be in trouble right they're, they're out for a rude awakening if some other nation tries to invade our nation what do we do do we just let them rain do we just move over and say okay you want our nation you got our nation there you go you're a nation no 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 you put up a fight oh no you don't you're not coming in here and reigning in this place And that's what you do as a believer, as a child of God. You put up a big, huge, powerful fight. You look right at your temptation. You look right at those birds flying over your head, and you pull a Gandalf. You shall not pass. You're not getting me. I'm going to fight. Now very often, when Christians are tempted and fall into it, and then they're tempted again and fall into it, and then they're tempted again and fall into it, and they come and talk to you and they say, I don't know what I I should do, I just don't seem to have the power, I don't have the strength, I keep falling into this thing. You ask them, well, what are you doing to resist it? Tell us what kind of battle you're waging. And the answer you get is usually not much. I love Winston Churchill. Read a biography of Churchill. Read some other stuff about Churchill. Three-volume biography of Churchill. Big one. Love him. Love him. And somewhere in there, he said something like this. This is not an exact quote. But it is the worst thing in time of war to underestimate your enemy and to try to wage a small war. Oh, we don't want to throw our whole nation at that. We'll just wage a little war. <laughs> Bad idea. Too many Christians wage too many small wars against big, powerful temptations that hit them again and again and again and again. And when you fail to wage a big war, you are letting it rain, you're giving it permission to rain. So, how do I not let sin therefore reign in my mortal body? I put up a huge knockdown, drag out fight. Over in Ephesians 6, Paul says, You strap on the belt of truth. You learn some truth about that thing. You're tempted with your eyeballs. You memorize some verses about whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And you meditate on that and other related verses. And you strap on the breastplate of righteousness. Wait a minute. In Christ, I am made righteous. So I want to live like a righteous person. And you have as your shoes the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. Not a little. Not a little paper napkin that you tuck into your shirt. There I have my shield on. No, the shield of faith, you're trusting in the word of God and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, praying at all times. You wage a huge war. Memorize scripture. Pray over it daily. Get a prayer buddy. Or if it's a girl, what do you call her? She's, not, she's a butt S, I don't know. Get a prayer friend. And ask them, will you stand with me? James 5. Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Get a righteous man or woman to pray with you and hold you accountable about that thing because you've confessed it to them. Wage a big war. Ask them to do Hebrews 10, Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10. Exhort me. Would you exhort me daily? So long as it is called today. And so much the more, chapter 10, as you see the day approaching. Now you're starting to wage a war. Have three by five cards in your dashboard, all two of you who are still commuting. Have one on the fridge, especially if you're tempted with food. Don't let it rain. Are you tempted to argue and argue and argue with your husband and resist and resist and resist his leadership in the home? Wage war on that. Are you tempted to be angry and short with your wife? You say words that you can't take back and they go in and deep and they hurt. Wage war on that. Don't just put on a little paper napkin while I hope it goes away. No, wage a war on it. Are you failing to live with your wife according to understanding? Well, nobody can. Are you trying? Are you failing to try to some degree to live with her according to understanding? Wage war on that. Are you disobedient to parents? Wage war on that. Is there sexual lust that's getting the best of you? Wage war on that. Are you chafing under the providence of God and you're grumpy at God? Because he's not doing what you want with your life. Wage war on that. You getting the idea? Don't let, just don't let that sin reign. Say, I've got to do something about that. It keeps flying over my head. i got to come up with some weapons. i got to wage some war. I need a plan. I need a battle. This is war. Too many Christians hardly wage any battles Against their temptations. Just kind of say, thank you, God, for your grace and hope it goes away. And it comes back again. Here's another verb. First verb is consider yourselves to be what you are. Second verb is don't let it rain. Third verb about what we do is Romans 6.13. Do not present. Do not present your members. Your members are the parts of your body, your ears, your your mouth, your nose, your hands, your feet, your less seemly parts. Do not present your body parts, your members, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. I think there's more in that verse. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here's our third verb. Here's what you do. Back up one slide, please. Thank you. Do not present. So when you present yourself, you're saying, here I am. Have me. You go to work, and you present yourself. Here I am. I'm at work. For the next eight hours, I do your bidding. You're presenting yourself. You have a a sovereign. You live in a land with a king, and you're to appear before the king. You present yourself to the king. Here I am. You are my sovereign. Rule over me. I'm your subject. I obey. I serve you. Paul's saying that whole presenting thing, don't do that to your temptations, and don't do that to sin. Don't present your members. So a temptation flies over, Shoo. look at that. And you don't say, okay, here's my eyes, here's my heart, here's my soul. No, 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 don't present. Don't show up and work for them. Don't let them be your king. Don't let them reign over you. Don't bow the knee to them. Don't present yourself. As those who have been brought from death to life. See, you died, you died, and you're alive. You died, and you're alive. You died, and you're alive. And that's why you don't present. And instead, present yourselves to God. So, over and over and over, as many times in a day, a week, a month, a year, as you have to, you go into the presence of God and you say, Oh God, I am yours. You are my sovereign. I present myself to you. Take me, have me, use me, shape me, mold me, make me into whatever you want me to be. Make me into a better follower of Jesus Christ. I present myself. I present. This is like Romans 12, one language, where Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your, your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. Again and again and again, you present your body. Put it on the altar. I'm yours, oh God. I'm yours and your members. Next slide, please. And your members to God. Take my hands. Take my feet. What's that great hymn? Take my life and let it be. Consecrated Lord to thee. Take my moments. Take my days. Take my hands. Take my feet. Take my lips. Take my voice. Take my intellect. Present all of those to God. God as one who is alive from the dead. Can this possibly work? If I reckon, if I consider myself to be what I am, and if I don't let sin reign over me, and if I present my members, can this really work? Can this really empower me against the sins that so easily beset me? Oh, yes it can. And here's why. Next verse, Romans six fourteen. For, sin will have. Other versions say, shall have. Just about the same thing. Sin will have no dominion over you. See, don't let it reign. That's dominion. It will have no dominion. It can't reign over you since Now, here's a curveball, not what you expected. I'll have to explain it a little bit. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Here's why it is not a fool's errand to fight a big war and seek to beat a powerful temptation foe. Here's why that can and will work. Because for... Sin will or shall have no dominion over It can't rule over you since, here's why, you are not under law, but you are under grace. Now, that, that needs a little explaining. So give heed. Are you all listening? You all look like you're listening. At least one person's listening. There's a second one listening. One in the front one in the back. Here's what he means by you're not under law, but under grace. What was the situation under law? Under law, Old Testament Israel, most of them did not have faith, saving faith. Read the book of Hebrews. With most of them, God was not pleased because they did not unite to God with faith. So they were not regenerated people. Some Old Testament believers were. David was. David had the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 51, after he sinned so grievously with Bathsheba, he says, take not thy spirit away from me. David had a regenerate heart. He had a new heart. He was a believer by faith. He was no longer dead in his trespasses and sins. He was made alive spiritually in his soul by God as a man of faith. But with most of those who were in the old covenant, they were not believing people. And the problem with the old covenant, or a problem with it was, you could be a member of the covenant simply by virtue of your blood. So you didn't have to be a faithful person. You didn't have to be regenerated. You didn't have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. All you had to have was the right blood, and you're in the covenant. The new covenant you have to have the right blood but it's the blood of christ covering you and the only people in the new covenant the only people who are under grace the only people in the new covenant are all believers washed by the blood of christ they have a new heart and the word of god is in their heart and god's spirit is within them so you're not like the average old testament believer For whom the law was external. It was not in their heart. They didn't love it. They loved their own lusts. They loved themselves. They loved their idols. They loved their own gods. And God gave them commandments. And they said, I can't do that. And they couldn't. He says, you're not that person. You're not the person under law. You're a person under grace. Under grace, you get the terms of the new covenant. So you get a new heart. You get the spirit of God dwelling within you. You get God's word placed in your heart. So you love it and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's why, Paul says, sin shall have no dominion over you, because you're new, because you've radically changed. So, he says, you're not under law, but under grace. Now, that's going to lead to another rhetorical question. 6.15, please. What then? Everything I've said in chapter 6, You won't continue in sin. You cannot possibly just continue in sin. You can't take advantage of the grace of God and let it rain over you. Oh, it'll fly into your house sometimes, but it won't rain over you. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Anybody remember the Greek? May it never be. He's basically asking the question of verse 1 over again. Shall we just abuse the grace of God? Shall we just cry, Grace, grace, it's all under the blood of Christ, and go ahead and sin? By no means. He anticipates that some might reason, Well, hey, the blood of Christ covers it. I can go ahead and do it. It doesn't really matter. I'm forgiven doesn't really matter. I'm going to heaven. Real Christians might do that sometimes. But you don't let that reign over you. In fact, you hate that. You get new loves and you get new hates. Now you love the will of God, the kingdom of God, the ways of God, pleasing God, following God, being faithful to God, the word of God, the people of God. You love all the things of God and you hate sin and you hate sin. Temptation, and you hate unrighteousness, and you hate all that doesn't please God, and you wish you could never, ever, ever, ever do that again. Instead of, oh boy, can't wait till I get to do that again. It's, oh, Lord, please give me grace. I don't ever want to treat my woman like that again. I don't want to ever yell at her like that. I don't want to ever get angry at him like that again. You hate it. You have new loves and you have new hates because you're not under law but you're under grace. So Paul's anticipating how some people might react to his free offer of the gospel. And the gospel is a free gift of righteousness through Christ. All right, now let me just get very personal with you a little bit. We're coming down home stretch. Get very personal with you. I have no doubt at all, that through this message, some of you have been sitting there thinking, oh, I know what sin I need to work on. I know which one I've just been letting reign. I, I, I know how small a resistance I'm putting up. How flimsy is my shield of faith. My sword of the Spirit is pared down to a little pocket knife. I have a little pocket knife. I pull it out. The blade's not even out. There. Temptation. Some of you have been sitting there thinking, maybe all of us have been sitting there thinking, well, I know what that is in my life. All right. Crunch time. What do you do? What do you do? How About a battle plan. I'm going to memorize scripture about that. I'm going to have a memorized scripture buddy or bud s to memorize scripture with. I'm going to have a Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 10 accountability friend. I'm going to have a James 5 praying for me, friend, because I'm confessing my faults to them. I'm going to paste scripture everywhere. Scripture about that specific temptation so that it won't rain over me. I'm going to talk to one of my pastors because it's still not working. And I want to get some more help from one of my shepherds. I'm going to wage war. I'm going to get serious about the sins that so easily beset me because my spirit is willing to obey God, but my flesh is weak. I'm going to start presenting myself and my members to God as instruments for righteousness. I'm going to stop so easily presenting myself to sin for temptation and to sin. I'm going to reckon and consider myself to be who I am in Jesus Christ. I am new. The old me died. The old me that loved that died. The old me that did that died. I don't want to be that person anymore. I'm new in Christ. The sword of the Spirit is a powerful sword. It is the power of God in your life. And some of us just need to get way more serious about facing our temptations. Battling our temptations. So, as we pray together, I'm going to have a little moment of just silent prayer where you take whatever's on your heart up to God and start having some dealings about it. Would you do that? And then I'll lead us in some prayer. Pray with me. we're praying that you'll be drawing people to yourself. Right now, Father, please. People who are far from you, people who are resisting you, people who are holding you at arm's length, people who are claiming your name, but they don't have it in their heart. We're all praying together, lifting up our voice with one accord. Father, save sinners in this place and within our reach today, we pray. May they call out to you, Father, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. I need that free gift of righteousness. Please have mercy upon a sinner like me. Please pardon me, forgive me, make me a new creature in Christ. Change my loves, change my life, change my heart. Do whatever you want with me. Just Please be my God, and I will be one of your people by grace. Others of us have come to Christ. None of us is doing a very good job. We're fooling ourselves as we think we are. We all have temptations to deal with. We all have besetting sins. We're all kind of a wreck and a work in progress, and yet in your infinite patience, you love us and put up with this and are patient with us. You care for us. And we pray, Father, for a powerful shepherding in our lives. Lord Jesus, shepherd us. We're your sheep. Strengthen us to stand in the evil day of fiery darts flying around our heads, temptations from the dark one fortify us, teach us to present our members as instruments of righteousness for your honor, your glory, and your namesake. Lord Jesus, would you so work in us that you would be magnified by our lives, that you would be honored and glorified, that people would see your grace in us and glorify your name and believe upon you. Father, help us to consider who we are new creatures in Christ. Thank you now for the table of communion set before us. We anticipate it with joy in the name of Jesus. Amen.